everybody. Welcome to the Copy Blogger Podcast. My name is Tim Stoddart. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Ethan Brooks. Ethan, what's up, man? How are you? Great. How's it going, man? Great. Let's jump right into it. This week, we are reintroducing the topic of artificial intelligence and content creation and online marketing. There has been a recent update in the past couple weeks, uh, most notably the last week, which I think has brought this topic back to the forefront of the public lexicon. And it's something that I think we need to talk about. And that is the emergence of auto GPT. So for anybody that doesn't feel like you're completely up to date with what's going on with AI, I'm going to give a, a quick background. And then we're going to talk about how this is going to affect entrepreneurs and content creators and how you can use this update to benefit you as opposed to being fearful from it and, and trying to avoid it. So here we go. ChatGPT has been the real big um, update, improvement with artificial intelligence. And what ChatGPT does is it creates basically a one-on-one -on -one relationship between you and the AI. So it exists in a series of prompts. So if you have access to ChatGPT, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, basically imagine a screen with a, a search cursor and you can ask a question, you could tell it to do something, it'll give you a response, and then you can react to that response, and then it'll react back to that response. So the, the conversation can evolve almost as if it's a two-way conversation. This update called AutoGPT is an API in the ChatGPT. So you basically connect into it. And what it allows you to do is create a list of prompts ahead of time to facilitate a function, or as, as you said, Ethan, to facilitate an outcome. So let's say I'm trying to create an article or I'm trying to edit a video or, or anything that requires me to have an API with a, a different system. Instead of saying like, hey, can you do this for me? And then it gives you a reply and then you respond to it and then it gives you a reply. You can basically just say, create me this video that's five minutes long and fits within these restraints and has music from time here to here and then just hit enter. And since it can prompt itself ahead of time, it can basically react to the um, adjustments it needs to make on the fly and create like an, a, I don't want to say a finished piece of content, but it can get much closer to the outcome without having the back and forth relationship between you and the AI. So this has been all over Twitter recently. It's, it's a huge update. It, it's definitely going to have big implications to the online entrepreneurial space. And that is why we decided to bring this topic back up. So with all that being said, Ethan, what do you think about this new update with AI and uh, with AutoGPT? Well, first of all, that was a great overview, and uh, I'm glad we're talking about this. This It really does, I should say two things. First of all, I know almost nothing about it, right? So we're going to be kind of co-exploring this together. I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm in a position similar to uh, where a lot of our readers might stand, which is like, hey, I'm in the content space, um, and for the first time in a long time, I'm looking at this tool thinking, this really feels like something that could replace a human writer at some point sure. relatively soon. I want to get into a, a, a real example of how this is being used to kind of like um, show people 
maybe a concrete a, a concrete demo in a second. But um, before I do, let me answer your first question. So what do I think about this? I definitely think this is going to be a theme of this episode, but it's like you, you don't really have the luxury of being scared right now. This thing is moving so fast and evolving like to be so uh, capable that I think you're – I this is where I, I feel like I'm at, and I think everybody listening to this is basically at a decision point. You got to decide. Yeah. What are you going to do? Are you going to embrace this and learn how to use it and then use that to like catalyze the next step of your career? Or are you going to go find something else to do for work? Because there's, I don't think we're at a point anymore where you can ignore this or where you can struggle against it. Um, so that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. I am, I am very much aware. I'm impressed by what I'm seeing. There's a part of me that's still like a little apprehensive, honestly, because I don't know what my job looks like inside of this new framework, but I'm not letting myself consider uh, anything other than like mastering this as a tool. So if we can, maybe we can, I think we'll do a good job of bringing that to listeners inside this episode, but we were discussing before we hit record, like what would be an ideal outcome here? And I think what I would really love to convey to people is this is, it's a hell of a tool, but it is just another tool, right? And I think we're at a point where you got to learn to use it or decide that you're going to go do something else for a career. Because for the first time since a lot of these things have been coming out, it really does feel like we're very close to replacing human writers with really, really capable AIs. And I'll I'll touch on that for just a quick second, too, because this is another question we had in our outline, which is what has changed since the last time we talked about this? You did a great job of laying out how auto GPT is different from chat GPT. But one of the things that's kind of interesting is like we're both on the record as sort of being over chat GPT. Like when it first came out, we did this great episode about, you know, why content writers should be leery of AI generated content. And uh, the reason back then was like technically it is spam by Google's rules. And so if you build an entire content strategy around AI gen content, there's a possibility that you eventually get blacklisted and it under undercuts your SEO. And I think a lot of that still holds true. But the question for people is like, what has changed since then? Because at that point, we were sort of, I think, in a slightly different position, being like, ah, you don't really have to pay attention to this. And now we're saying, time to listen. So we've talked about the tech. What else do you think or what else have you seen change that maybe has grabbed your attention since the last time we talked about this? My answer is going to surprise you and it may surprise listeners. The only thing that I really have seen change is emotion, is people's reaction to it. In terms of how you react to it or how you interact with it, I still don't think that much has changed. This isn't a common theme for work. Anytime a new piece of technology gets introduced, the immediate response is, this is going to take my job, when in reality, technology creates opportunity because it, it, it provides leverage. So what will happen is businesses become smaller and smaller, and individual people have the ability to create so much more 
because of the time leverage and the productivity leverage. So nothing, nothing has changed in that regard. The, the thing that has changed is I think people's fear index has really spiked up over the last two weeks because you just see how powerful this is. And like you said, the pinnacle point has arrived where people need to decide what they're going to do about it. And, and like, frankly, I, I don't even think it's going to replace writers, as we say, because there is one thing that people have no matter what, that at least for the foreseeable future until there's like robots that walk around that look exactly like people, you know, but people have experiences and it's those experiences that reflect or that interact with AI that creates the outcome. But mm. without that experience, then the, then the AI is, is just, it's just words. It's just words on a page. It doesn't mean anything without evoking an emotion on the other end of it. And so people need to embrace their experiences, embrace storytelling, embrace insight, embrace seeing the world in the particular way that only they can see the world. And then just understand that, that AI is just a tool. It's just, it's like a tractor, you know, or a, or, or a, a pen or a hammer. It just gives you, it just increases your productivity. The difference is, you know, this is, Obviously, it's, it's easy to compare AI to a hammer and that they're both mm. tools. But at the same time, like, let's be realistic. The, the productivity, the productivity um, increase through AI is, is like leaps and bounds above what we've seen before. So it's, it's definitely scary in that regard. Mm. Uh, but I'm still optimistic. And I want people to leave this, this episode feeling optimistic and feeling like empowered by it. Yeah. Let me give a quick example of the kind of thing we're talking about in terms of the difference between like chat GPT and um, auto GPT. So as you mentioned with chat GPT, the interface is more of like a call and response, right? So you ask a question yeah, and it will respond. Call and response. Yeah. And if you wanted to achieve anything like a specific outcome, some people have done this too. They're like, if you want to go build a website, you could ask ChatGPT the best way to start a WordPress site, and it would walk you through it step by step. But you still have to go sign up, like, you know, whatever, input your domain name and create your account, and you do all the steps, and then you would basically interface with the, the AI each step along the way in order to troubleshoot or solve any problems that you run into. And that's really interesting. Now, with the one step further, this auto GPT is capable of uh, managing a lot of like multi-step projects. And I got to be really careful here because I don't actually understand yet the technology or its limitations. But let me tell you from an outsider's perspective, the kind of things that I've seen it do. And then we'll leave it to like the technical people to, to talk a little bit more about how it's actually doing this. People are using tools like auto GPT to build entire websites connect them to databases and oh, the computer is basically managing a lot of that process on its own. Um, so you, uh, you could prompt it and say, build me a website that looks like this or has this feature connected to a database, like this type of database. And because the computer can, uh, I don't actually know what it's doing, but it seems to be able to handle like multi-step 
functions like that. Mm-hmm. So coding is one place where this has, has really become obvious. There's another place too, and this is this is what changed my mind more on the content side. So if you're thinking about content creation through the lens of like a chat GPT, one step call response, there, there's something interesting there, which is like as a writer, you could prompt the the AI to give you ideas or um, if it was connected to the internet, potentially even pull research for you, something like that. But now with auto GPT, you can prompt the AI for an outcome and it will start figuring out ways to get you what you need. And again, I'm, I, I know that for technical people, I'm being very, uh, like I'm, this is a gross generalization. I'm not using the right technical terms here. I'm just going to describe it in terms of like what it looks like to an outside person. So here's an example that came up. Have you seen agent GPT yet? No, but it's, it's trending on Twitter. Right as I was putting the notes together, I I seen the, uh, the phrase or whatever. Really? I, this came up in a group chat that I'm in. Somebody basically shared this and said, uh, agent GPT, the, the idea of this tool is like to create quote unquote bots that are sort of like, they go around the web and they do your bidding for you. So you can name these different bots and you can give each one a goal. And here's a great example. I'm going to, I'm going to read through this for people who are listening to this, but this is what I mean when I say that the computer is basically giving itself a list of step-by-step tasks. So I created this little bot. It's called Ethan bot. And then you give it a goal. And for me, I wrote this goal. I said, find the three most viewed YouTube videos with Ryan holiday, summarize them, then give me two to three new questions to ask about Ryan's writing strategy. So the idea here is like, let's just pretend I'm going to interview Ryan holiday. I could do a bunch of research on him for this interview, but now you could see a world in which you would have like these AI assistants that go and gather research for you. So that's all I wrote. Find three most viewed YouTube videos, summarize them, then give me two to three new questions. Now, this tool, Agent GPT, breaks that down into a series of individual tasks, right? So on the right-hand side, you see scrape YouTube for Ryan Holiday's videos, sort the videos by view count and select the top three, use natural language processing to generate summaries of the videos, generate two to three questions about Ryan's writing strategy based on the video content. And it's like, I don't, I don't actually know how much of this is really happening versus how much of this is show. And I'll I'll tell you why I think that in a second, but this gives you whether it's actually happening or this is just an MVP that's showing like what could happen. uh, It's very impressive tool. So I scroll through and basically this thing looks like it's doing kind of your bidding. It's adding those tasks, basically prompting the AI on its own. And then, um, it, it spits out this output and it, the output basically says, I'll read, I'll read an example of it, but it basically says after scraping YouTube for Ryan holidays videos, I have found the three most viewed videos as follows. And then it lists what here's a, here's one with a summary. It says the obstacle is the way animated book history or sorry, animated book summary, 4.6 million views in this video, Ryan holidays book, the obstacle is the way is summarized. Through an animated short, the book is about the philosophy of stoicism and how it can help individuals overcome their obstacles in life. The video teaches viewers about the importance of mindset and perseverance. And then it does that two more times with two more videos. And then at the very end, it says, based on these videos, I'd recommend asking Ryan Holiday the following questions. One, how do you balance your writing between practical advice and philosophical principles? Two, how do you approach the research process for your books? 
Three, what do you believe is the biggest obstacle that individuals face when trying to implement stoicism in their lives and how would you advise them to overcome it? Now, that that's pretty wild. All that took place in about 30 seconds, right? So when you look at this as a potential tool, as a content creator, huge leverage. I will say I've searched YouTube for these videos and I can't find them. So I actually, I don't think that this, really? I don't think this tool, and I don't know because I'm just playing with it. I don't think that this tool has actual access to the internet, which would make sense because even like uh, open AI doesn't give any, just anybody access to connect chat GPT to the internet. So it would be really weird if this did have access. I think what's happening here is this is kind of like an MVP. It's an example. And then potentially it is, it's outputting text as though it was doing the research, right? Um, yes. Which I mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Well, so, you know, people listening to this should take this with a grain of salt. I'm, I actually don't think these videos exist. They might, but I'm searching YouTube for them and I'm not finding them. So, the tool isn't quite there yet, but you can see what is right around the corner is basically having like a supply of AI assistance that you can have go out and work for you. And so that's what I mean when I say it really feels for the first time like we're approaching a point where these AIs really could step in and start doing a lot of the lifting that humans currently do uh, in the content game because the quality of the responses is higher than ever before. Um, the interface is like easier than ever before. Uh, it just feels like it would be silly at this point to say this is not going to change the writing game. All said, okay. That's a perfect transition point to steer this conversation into a different direction though. It's going to change the writing game, but mm -hmm. is it going to completely replace it? I don't know. And nobody can predict the future here. I'm, I'm going to be optimistic and say that there's still a ton of opportunity for writers, especially. Well, for storytellers, regardless of what your medium is, I still think writing because writing is coincided with thinking and like writing makes you smarter. And so that's why I'm always biased towards writing. But there's three questions that you talked about. Could, could you uh, pop the screen up again? Because I want to I wanna look at those three questions. The three that we laid, laid out in our thing or the three, well, that, the three I, that the uh that the agent gpt told you to ask ryan holiday after it scraped those videos here yeah so right here how do you balance your writing between practical advice and philosophical principles how do you approach the research process for your books and what do you believe is the biggest obstacle that individuals face when trying to implement stoicism in their lives and how would you advise they overcome it yeah so like those questions kind of suck because they don't appeal to emotion of humanity. And that is the opportunity here. Like that is what you will be able to do differently. You'll be able to dig into those concepts that are like closest to the survival mechanisms of people. So if, if you look at the brain, I don't want to get too deep here. This is like very Seth Godin-ish, right? But the further away you get from the brainstem, quite literally, the further away in, in, in terms of distance, the more, quote unquote, human you get, like your prefrontal cortex is like a lot of your reasoning and, and your creativity, whereas your amygdala, the little tiny 
peanut size thing. Well, I think it's a little bigger than that, but you, you call it the lizard brain because it's all your survival mechanisms and, and, and what's included in that, right? It's community. It's like survival. It's being a part of the tribe. It's not getting kicked out of the tribe. It's feeling like you belong. And those elements. So let me even take a, a quick step back. I don't want to get too far off the deep end here, but I've been thinking about this a lot this week. And one of the things I've been thinking about is, is COVID because we saw this happen during COVID with the lockdowns and with all the isolationism. And we found so quickly how important it is for people to be able to be people. And like, no matter how much into the matrix we get tapped into, we're never going to be able to not be people, right? Like we're always just going to need to fulfill that need, which is just slightly more than, you know, food and water and shelter, right? We, 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 need, we need stuff emotionally. We, we need creativity. We need storytelling. We need excitement. And without it, we like decay, quite literally decay. And so that is the opportunity there. So, so what does that mean? I think online communities are going to blow up. I think they're going to totally blow up and they're going to get even more um, long tail. So like every little interest is going to have its own online community. I think personal events are going to blow up because why wouldn't they? When, when you have an AI that can basically do all the quote unquote work for you, like what else do you have other than to celebrate things together <laughs> in groups of people, you know, like um, I, I think the, the analogy that I've been using and I hope this makes sense to people, but it's the closer you get to the brainstem, the more of the opportunity it is. So the, the further away you get from it, the more we can commoditize that kind of stuff, you know, like filler information copy, forget about it. If you're a researcher, just like forget about it. And it sucks because some people really love doing research, but there's no, there's no future in it. I'm sorry to crush your hopes and dreams, but there's just no future. I, I can, I was showing my team how to use chat GPT because we write in a space that's very, very particular. And the thing that I said is like, this is not going to replace your job. This is going to make it so that you can do your job 10 times faster. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not going to be able to write the article for you yet as good as you can write it with experience and insight, but it will take all of the research out of the way. So I said, look, here's the topic. Tell chat GPT to give you an outline. And it spit out like the perfect outline. It's like, okay, now your framework is here and all you have to do is write the thing. So we're going to need less research. We're going to need less organization and all of those menial tasks. And you're going to need like people that can execute on what it is to have experience and, and, and be a person. You know, I don't know how else to explain it. I feel like there's there's a word somewhere in here which defines exactly what I'm talking about, but the opportunity in this space is to dive in to people, dive into the thing that makes people people. And I think those are the content businesses that are, are really, really going to crush it. It's almost like everybody takes a step up in on the job ladder, because at this point, instead of being somebody who's like going out and finding all the answers... Now you have to be the person who knows how to use the computer to do those things, who knows how to have the computer do those things. And so even individual contributors effectively turn into managers at this point. It's almost like everybody takes a step up. I'm thinking about this a lot because 
I'm in this weird position where for the first time in my career, I was sort of put in like a management role. And to be, to be honest, I don't feel like I was very, I'm very good at it. And I've sort of been working for the last few months to get myself back out of it. But, but I can, in going through that process, I've like seen what are the individual skills that I need to develop further in order to be better at that. And for me, it's like managing other people because I'm very much, I'm like usually the last one to ask for help and I'm not great at delegating. And so management has been very difficult for me because I don't think of those things as like the first way to solve a problem. And what I found is that in the people that I do admire who are really great managers or who are great delegators, that's like what they spend their time doing. They're not solving problems. They're finding people to go solve the problems for them. And um, this whole AI thing is making me think like, that's everybody's job now. You now have a machine that is pretty much capable of doing most of what you did as a job. Or, you know, if not now, we're going to be having this conversation in like a month where it will be. Um, And so the real skill set, it's like there's two skill sets. I really like what you're saying about being closer to the brainstem in terms of as a content creator, what do you talk about? Where is your spot? You have to be able to evoke emotion, definitely. And then, but as somebody with a job in a company, I think you also have to have that other thing, which is like, you can't think of yourself as an individual contributor anymore because individual contributors just aren't valuable. They're, they are being, that's what's going to be replaced by these machines. What's going to be valuable is people who can take that next step up. And so I think there's a huge opportunity in learning and developing these skills as a manager and a leader, even if what you're managing are bots at this point. Um, yeah. And there's, there's two frameworks that I've been thinking about it in my head. One of them is, does your job involve a right or a wrong answer? And I think those jobs are in trouble. So ironically, the most valuable job over the last 10 years has been a developer. And you would think that that would be the last thing to go, but it's actually the first to go because there is, writing code is an art and a science. There's so many different ways to get to an outcome, but there, there is one most efficient way. I don't want to say a perfect way, but there is like, (laughs) there is a maximum desirable outcome when it comes to writing code and an AI can just do it. It's almost kind of like chess, right? Where no matter what you do, the chess can figure out like this is statistically the most efficient move in this current situation. And developers are, are kind of screwed in that regard where the one thing that they had, which was their judgment, it's sort of gone because you, you can't you can't out efficiency an AI in that way. But so if, if you take that one construct where is there a right or a wrong answer? And if there is, I think kind of punt that one to the side. But then there's the other one which says, like, is there is there more than one answer? And how do you figure out how to use people to get to a more desirable outcome. And and so that's why I actually think that writing is going to be fine. And the the question that I always come up with in my head or the example is with Google, where I think I've said this on the show a couple of times, but it it always, I, I always come back to this, where it's, if AI can write everything perfectly, perfectly optimized every single time, 
then every single page is going to be exactly the same. And if that's the case, what's left mm -hmm. and what is left, you know, experience, insights, your personal viewpoint on the world, your, your personal insight on like certain events. And that can't really be replaced by an AI, at least until AIs can have their own experience and their own insight, which I mean, Jesus, when that happens, it really is like the dystopian singularity future. And then we're all just sort of like vegetables moping around the world without any hope, which let's hope it doesn't get there, right? <laughs> um you see what yeah, I mean? Yeah, man, though? I you agree with you. The well, well, I do. I think I think you did a good job pissing off any developer that listens to this show. But yeah, the um, what is interesting there? There is some there's some truth to what you're saying. What's interesting about developers is I think a lot of them are going to be in a similar position as writers in terms of the fact that they'll now be co-piloting with AI rather than having to write it from scratch. And a lot of developers, they already know this, like half the job of being a developer is just looking up code on Stack Overflow, right? So it, the AI is basically just expediting what was already done before. And there's a really interesting thing that's going on because a lot of these AI assistants really, I mean, they were embraced in the developer world before anybody else, really. I mean, um, what is the, it's a, uh, is it GitHub's copilot? Who runs copilot? Open AI? Somebody has a, I think it was GitHub. It launched a GitHub. program called copilot, which is basically a coding assistant. And what's really interesting there is I've seen some of the research that came out of that. Uh, something like 80% of the people who are using it report higher job satisfaction um, using that tool. At, or, well, they report higher job satisfaction. So there, there is, I guess, something to point to with this and be like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be like AI replaces you or, you know, we have this dystopian future or something like that. Uh, in, there, there's like a real world, I don't know, third middle option, which is that all these tools just get integrated into a lot of the same jobs that exist already. And the people who are really good at those jobs and well-networked continue to be successful. And some of the people who are less good fall away. We're seeing that in the development world. I think we'll see it in the content world. I want to, I want to dig deeper and get like really practical, man, because I feel like a lot of people talk about this and they're like, and they say some of the same things that we're saying here, which is, you know, yes, the AI is going to be able to write like a human, so the only thing that's left is your experience. What does that mean practically for somebody who is in this space and needs to get the page views tomorrow? They need to get the subscriptions. They need to get the revenues. Like, how is this really going to change the day-to-day? -day? Maybe we can start with how you're using it so far. Like you said, you said already that your team is using ChatGPT on some of their outlines. You haven't changed headcount at all based on that? Oh, has, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Everybody, everybody look out. <laughs> yeah, um, seriously, not yet. I mean, so, th so, so then what has changed? Because it's this massive lever, right? So are you guys taking on more business than you were before? Like what, what are the actual day-to-day -day changes now that this tool is being implemented? 
Yeah, and let me pump the brakes on it for a second. The difference between an AI and other technology is just the rate of acceleration. But there's still a lot to be figured out. You know, mm -hmm. it's it, it seems like every week there's just another update. But on the document that you and I keep when we try to prepare for the show, there's tons and tons of examples of people going like, has anybody figured out how to do anything cool with this yet? Because it's not working for me. You know, yeah. so it, it's like, we're not even really getting started. There, there's a lot that needs to happen. Yep. The other thing is that even so, how do you conceptualize this? Like, AI can get you 90% of the way there, but that 10% still needs a person. And it's just, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that one person can cover the 10% for the whole thing. You know, it's like every little job has another 10% that you just still need a person for. And, and so we're not quite there yet. So to answer your question, I haven't decreased headcount at all. Um, the biggest way that we're using it is with outlines. I'm definitely not using it to write full articles. One, it's, it's actually not that good. And I really, really mean that. Like you can tell the difference between AI generated content and people generated content really, really quickly. And it's just that the people write better. They still write better. Will that change? Probably, or maybe not. I, I don't know. I have no idea. The, the thing that I think is important is context here because the reason why i've been thinking so much about this personal experience type stuff is because i'm in the behavioral health space with my agency and i've been thinking about it how the hell is an ai gonna actually help somebody that's struggling emotionally with an addiction or struggling emotionally with mental health or whatever that thing is going to be there's still something about sitting across the room with a person and talking about your feelings and your emotions that helps you inside as a human being and so like i'm lucky in that regard that i think i just accidentally landed in this undisruptible space that just requires people to connect on a people level and so I, that's what I'm thinking about a lot. Like, what are those industries that demand that? You know, I think food is, is one of them because we, we've been automating food for the last hundred years, but there's still a labor shortage, right? So like, how does that happen? The, the, more, the more efficiency we get, the more jobs we need somehow. There's almost this like reverse correlation. And so I'm, I'm waiting for those things to emerge. I'm waiting for the, the jobs that we never even thought would be a job to pop up in the next 10 years. And I'm waiting for them to pop up, especially in spaces that demand that connection. That's why I think meetups are going to be bigger than ever. That's why I think online communities like Circle is, is a killer company right now i know we, we've talked about circle a couple of times but man the people that that got to invest in that company a couple of years ago i think they're in a great space and so my, my advice from a practical level is understand it's a tool the tool will definitely kick some people out of the club there's no question about that but it'll probably create more clubs and i think it'll create clubs in the spaces that that just demand one-on-one -on -one 
personal interaction. Hmm. I know that was a bit of a mouthful, but those have been the ideas that are whirling in and out of my head as I've been reading about this stuff the last week. One of the things that I like that you said is that you're waiting for certain things to emerge. And I think totally. there's an important thing to talk about there, which is like, how do you deal with chaos when you're clearly in a position where like your industry is being disrupted? Um, which I think is where we are now. You know, we we're very clearly at this point in time when we know big things are gonna change. It's not clear yet how. Or to what extent? The only thing anybody is seeing is that the changes seem to keep coming faster and faster and faster. Yeah. How do you deal with that? I like this concept of waiting as like a lot. Like, I think it's smart to maybe if you were to look at a pie graph of what you should be spending your time on, I think it's like learning, waiting, and focusing on something else that's not this. <laughs> uh, and I'm not exactly sure what the distribution is across that pie chart. But the reality is this is going to be so disruptive and so revolutionary. I think it's almost a waste of time to dig into it too deeply at this point. For sure. Because a lot of people are going to come and go. It's almost like, have you ever looked at the list of car manufacturers in the U.S.? No, but I bet there's a ton of them. Hundreds, like, yeah. Um, and let me see if I can find it on on Wikipedia real fast. Uh, list of automobile manufacturers in the U.S. While you're looking that up, I want to highlight the fact that for some reason all these tech dorks decided to call it an agent, as if that wasn't the most typical, most like matrix plugged in word they could ever use an agent in the matrix like come on you couldn't have done a little better i can't believe that's what we're going to call it for the next hundred something years <laughs> agents as soon as i heard that i was like you got to be shitting me who like who did that because somebody did that one person did that and then it just stuck and whoever that person is oh agents check this out so this is the list of car manufacturers in the US right now. And I'm just giving it a quick scroll for people listening. It's maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50. Some of them have pages, some don't. Most are like, you know, 15 to 20 years old. A lot of them are doing EVs. You've heard of the big ones, but then there's like some niche Faraday, car There's a card company called Faraday. He's my favorite scientist of all time. Really? Yeah, scroll down a little bit on the left. How do I buy a Faraday future? No way. What is this car company? Uh, they got ff.com. Not bad, man. Yeah, there's some really wild ones on here. But check this out. This is the list of defunct car manufacturers in the US. Wow. And for people listening, wow. I'm scrolling past just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and Thousands. hundreds of names. Yeah. And so the point here is that like every revolutionary technology goes through this phase where there's a huge proliferation of players and then it kind of collapses down to whoever the main players are. And for people like, I think it would just be a massive investment of time to overcommit to any particular tool right now. Cause everything is changing so fast. Like I think a lot of Jasper users ran into this, right? You get into Jasper AI early on. And then all of a sudden every other tool out there can do what Jasper can do. And yeah. they're all competing with each other. And, you know, it becomes a race to see who can capture users and revenue fast enough to survive. So here's how I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm not 
necessarily overcommitting on any particular tool. There's like four things that come to mind for me. One, I want to stay up on the developments at a high level just so that I'm aware of what is possible. Because I think me three weeks ago would have been surprised. Even today, I'm not really well-informed on what is totally possible with these systems. I don't think you really have to know how to do everything if you are at least relatively well-informed on what's possible. Because then you can go out and you can figure out how to do it if you know it's possible. But if you don't even know it's possible, you're going to keep doing things manually that yeah. really should be automated using these, these tools. And it's going to put you at a disadvantage. So let's, let me make that super concrete. I'm in a startup right now. We're, you know, we're working really hard and fast and we have to ship a lot on a very sh short time frame. For me to continue being like a useful asset to the team, it helps if I'm aware of different things that are now possible with AI that are going to allow us to punch above our weight class. If I'm still sitting down, like here's a great example. We needed to write a job description for an online community manager last week. Um, you know, to do a good job at that would take like an hour, probably one to two hours. If you're really thinking through what the role needs to fine tune the wording, all this kind of stuff that took 30 seconds with chat GPT. And so that's a simple concrete example of like the kind of thing that you need to know is possible to stay valuable. Let's just sit like, just, just call that maintenance mode. Right. Yeah. Okay, so how do you stay up on the industry? For me, I really like Ben's Bites, and that's the newsletter. Just cruise it. I try. I would love to read it once every morning. The problem is there's just so much coming out. I don't read it. I read it once or twice a week, but it's Ben's Bites newsletter, and all the only goal there is I don't even play with the stuff that I see there. I just read it so that I have a passive understanding of the kinds of things that are possible with AI, so that as tasks come my way, I can choose to experiment with things as needed. Okay, so that's step one, like the learning. The um, other, there's like kind of like three other components. Experimentation, which I, I mentioned just very briefly. The best framework that I've heard from this came from the People versus Algorithms podcast. Have you ever listened to that? No, I see you I smiling. Shitty. I love green. the name. It's a pretty good. It's it's pretty good. I'm still kind of new to it. I real I'm enjoying their banter though. It's like these three different tech guys who just talk about stuff. They've all got a different background too. And one of them on a recent podcast said that what he tries to do is save 30 to 60 minutes a day by using some kind of AI tool. And I love that framework because it make, it takes everything we're talking about and just makes it more concrete. It's sure. instead of, instead of saying like, Oh, you need to learn how to be a better writer. You just pass everything through that filter as you're kind of creating your to-do list for the day. Right. You just looking for different ways to save time. That's how I thought of doing the job description using the AI mm. is because I was just running things through that filter. So I don't care if I'm learning individual tools. Instead, I want to build the mindset of how am I maximizing my output? I love that framework. Say, try to save 30 to 60 minutes a day. And obviously I don't get there, but like once or twice a week, I'll save an hour to like 30, 30 to 60 minutes. And that stacks up over time. Okay. So that's like learning, experimenting. There's two more things. The third thing is I keep focusing on what I want in my life, not what I'm scared of losing. Yes. Yes. So there are certain things that I'll always do as a writer, just because I value them. 
And it doesn't matter to me that, you know, AI makes it possible to like write an entire book in three minutes. I'm still not going to do that because I value the work of going through this process of putting ideas on paper. Tools might change. The approach might change. But I am trying to focus on how you want to spend your time, not what are you afraid of happening. And and then the last thing real quickly is I try to counterbalance the all of the craziness of being in tech and startups by also spending some time focused on things that don't change. And for me, that's uh, three things. It's like music, cooking, and I, eventually woodworking. I don't, I don't do any woodworking yet, but I really want to. And cool. these are things to me that are like hundreds of years old, thousands in some cases. And yeah, there's plenty of innovation in those spaces. There's plenty of new things going on, but the strings on the guitar are still the same as they were a hundred years ago. And music theory is still the same. Sure. It evolves. You can learn more, whatever, but you could start learning the guitar today and learn it for the rest of your life. And you're going to be able to, it's, it's, you're never going to get, it's never going to become obsolete. What you learn today, 50 years from now, you'll still be building on it. You know, Whereas I think with some of the tech stuff, it's different. The things we're working with now won't even exist in 50 years. So I try to counterbalance all this craziness by focusing on some things in my life that just aren't, they don't change. They're, they are evergreen. Those are the four things. Amazing. Um, I have one main coping mechanism, let's call it. But I, I want to comment on that idea of things that never change because the, the same thought has been running through my head this last week with Muay Thai. It's like Muay Thai is an ancient, ancient art that sure, there's always going to be new ways to do it and people experimenting with different things. But I mean, I'm not trying to advocate violence here, but like at the end of the day, there <laughs> is always a right way to knee somebody in the stomach <laughs> so that they fall over, you know, and like that just never changes. I find real beauty in that that well another example since we lived in in denver like we go for walks in the morning i look at these mountains and i'm like these mountains don't give a shit about ai you know these mountains have been here for i don't know millions of years i'm not a geologist but a long freaking time and when when they're when we're gone these mountains are still going to be here just doing what they do and so I, i i love that framework i don't mean to get too like philosophical about it but it actually does keep me anchored when your brain starts thinking like, what am I going to do? The whole future is going to be different. You know, how, how do I prepare for this? And it, it is very helpful. So can I give you one more? That, can I give you one yeah, more? Please, and then please. I want to hear what your main coping mechanism is. Um, yeah. Astronomy. This, this right. one surprised me, but uh, when I was living in the Northeast, I picked up one book. I think it's called a hundred things to see in the night sky. And I'll get the actual book title and we'll link it up in the show notes. But um in the Northeast, you get really long winter nights. And so I decided a couple of years ago, I'm just going to, I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm going to, and I'm going to just take up some like stargazing type stuff. And um, I, what I was really surprised at, there was two things that I was really surprised at. The first is that when you start to learn about the stars, you find there's a lot of peace that comes with that. And there's this weird like sense of place that kind of starts to settle in over you because all of a sudden and i wouldn't have expected this but with just even just a very basic understanding of it all of a sudden you can orient yourself pretty much anywhere 
right? So it's like, if you just look up, you know, which way is North, which way is South, which way is East, which way is West, you know, generally speaking where you are and how kind of like how to get somewhere else. And so your sense of place changes very quickly when the stars make more sense. The other thing that's very interesting about it is that for the most part, the stars above are exactly the same as they have been for thousands of years. And so you look up and you're pretty sure you're looking at the exact same sky that Caesar looked up at or Marcus Aurelius or, you know, these other people from history. It's the same. It's still the same. And so that's the last one I'll just give is, is, is a, there's something very calming about astronomy, even just yeah. at the most basic level. I love that, man. You and I are always very similar in that regard. So my coping mechanism is two words. And this is something that my is a mentor of mine told me years and years and years ago. And it always stuck with me. And it, it actually, other than AI, was just brought back into my life with this like really big decision that I have to make. By the way, I'm writing about it at the bootstrapper.io. Check it out. Um, and the two words are take initiative. If I'm ever stuck, like the worst place you can be is that feeling where you're stuck. And everybody knows what I'm talking about, where your anxiety is high and you're just kind of sitting somewhere and maybe you're just staring at a wall or a lot of people can relate just staring at a computer screen where you, you, you know you should be doing something and you don't know how and you don't even know why. You're just stuck. And that is the worst place you can be in rapidly changing environments, especially rapidly changing environments where there's a lot on the line. And it's better to make the wrong decision than to not make a decision. And so if I'm ever in that spot, I always, it just pops in my head all the time, take initiative, take initiative, take in initiative, like go somewhere and move towards something, even if it's the wrong direction, it's always better to do that than to stay still. And so Something that's really helped me the last couple of weeks with all the AI stuff has just been that phrase, take initiative. And so I am, and I'm way more prepared than I think most people are. And I, I feel very, very confident that like, I am going to succeed in this new environment simply because I'm, I'm taking initiative one step at a time. I like that, man. I like that. I think, um, I think overall, I'm actually more excited about this than worried. There's a lot of the things about being a content creator that I'm not good at. And I think AI is making those easier. For example, yeah. we've talked about this before. I suck at following through on like a social media posting calendar. I hate it. I hate it. I hate taking something that I wrote long form and figuring out how to say it in a pithy way on Twitter. I hate mm -hmm being anywhere near LinkedIn. I hate all that stuff. And what I think in a lot of ways, this is going to open up is the ability for you to be focused on creating the one thing that you're really interested in. And then AI can take it and chop it up and share it across the world and make sure you're getting the kind of attention for it that your work deserves in a way that's a lot uh, easier and, and, and doesn't take as much from you as a person. Yeah. I also think one one more thing you're making me think of too, though, for people who are like in this and who are looking for some sense of security, there we don't talk a lot about personal finance on this show, but there is 
a lot of benefit to setting yourself up to be able to take a step back or time away from work, especially in times like this. Or what do I mean by this? You got to have a rainy day fund. Yeah. Because that's what's going to free you to, first of all, not worry about losing your job or your livelihood. And then if you do lose it, give you the time to invest in like retraining and, and creating that new core offering around whatever it is like your new thing is going to be. Um, so I don't know, man, there's a lot to think about right now, but generally speaking, I think, uh, your approach is, is dead on take initiative. I hope so. So what I'm doing. Yeah. We'll be recording this podcast from underneath a bridge, like a year from now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say too is though is like for people listening to this, this this was supposed to be the promise of technology. It was supposed to take our jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we'll figure out a way to do it without taking all our money too. But like, it, it you're supposed to end up with more time at the, in the day because of all this. I'm not worried about people losing jobs really as a whole. Well, I'm worried about individuals losing their jobs. I'm not worried about society being jobless it, it, the exact opposite is going to happen it's yeah. just individuals suffer and society will benefit from it so mm. yeah well great show man do you got uh you got anything else you want to wrap up on nope i think that's it <laughs> yeah i mean neither <laughs> <laughs> i could prompt well, thanks GPT-3. everybody for listening yeah, yeah thanks everyone for listening we really appreciate you uh check out the newsletter at copybloggerpod.com and we'll talk to you next week how do you think see you man later